0: Talkin' sports as they report back and forth from their home court, they talk the sports. If you're not sure, they talk of sports and then talk more about all sports east, west, south,
1: north. Ryan talk sports, Andrew retorts, and torch will hear as they both sort through all the sports they both support. The walk-ons. What's up, everybody? It's Ryan Reeves. Welcome to the Walk-Ons podcast, Thursday, October twenty-first, twenty twenty-one. Got a great show for you guys today. Obviously, the MLB playoffs heating up in the championship series. Week, week seven recap in college football, week week eight looking ahead, and of course some NFL and NBA is opening up with me as always, Andrew Schuster, and we also have a special guest today, former co-host and great friend of the show, Kevin Carlin's joining us as well. Kevin, what's up, buddy?
2: Hey, thanks, Ryan. Great to be back. Always good to see you guys.
1: It's always a good day when you're, when you're back with us, man. I can't wait for this. This is a blast, but guys, let's get right into it. Let's talk some MLB playoffs. Uh, let's start in the NL, uh, Braves, Dodgers. Braves are up 3-1, they just pummeled the Dodgers last night, I mean, they're basically, this is a Cody Bellinger home run away from being a sweep, I gotta give them credit, I mean that 97, around 97 that was way high out of the zone, that was an impressive feat, I'll give you that, but I mean, the Braves have this one handled, first pitch is pretty much right now in game 5 so this is a chance for for Atlanta to to shut the door on them right and i mean i got to tell you with that with the way game 3 ended Atlanta losing that lead and you know everybody geeking out there at Dodger Stadium i thought oh my god here we go again the Braves are going to blow it again but then they go out last night and they pummel the Dodgers as i mentioned Kevin does this feel like this is this is a series for the Braves to win or is there a chance for the Dodgers to come back here
2: Yeah, I mean, I think anything can happen. It's hard to predict, but, you know, I agree with you. It certainly felt like the Dodgers found themselves in game three. You know, all the Dodgers needed was some of these guys that have been not hitting to, to wake up a little bit. Um, Also just one note, and this is just my own personal belief. If the Dodgers do find a way to come back in this series, it will certainly be in spite of Dave Roberts, not because of him. I'm very pleased to see that the Dodgers are going to have a chance tonight with Bellinger playing center field. So they took Gavin Lux out of the lineup. I think that was a good move. He looked a little overmatched out there. He made some okay plays and his bat has been solid, but you know, he's made a couple of conspicuous uh, poor plays that have cost the Dodgers. So um, I think it's possible. I think the key game is tonight, obviously send it back to Atlanta. Then you have Mad Max on Saturday with nothing to lose. I would feel very good if I were a Dodger fan in game six. And then All of a sudden, you get to game seven. Maybe some of the ghosts of last year will start to visit the Braves and maybe edge Dodgers if they can somehow get it to game seven. But whether or not they can is a a whole other question. Their, Their lineup has been struggling.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Gavin Lux, Kevin. I mean, it's the age-old adage in baseball, right? The bat plays, right? You find a way, if a guy's hitting, you find a way to get him in the lineup, even if it's a position that he doesn't normally play. He had that really, really bad play in center field that cost the Dodgers a run. You could call it the game, you know, almost the game, but Bellinger saved the day. But Andrew, you know, we had mentioned last week that it kind of felt like Giants-Dodgers was sort of a de facto World Series, right? And with that in mind, the winner of that series, which was the Dodgers, kind of felt like they, were, they had a path right to the world series clearly that's not the case but i mean if atlanta closes them out tonight and it's really to this point i mean obviously they had the two walk-offs, but they really had this series in hand they've, they've pretty much done whatever they wanted with with the dodgers but does this make the braves the team to beat andrew if, if they close it out tonight
0: well, i think it's certainly i mean you you have to take the Braves seriously at this point i mean they came into the playoffs 88 wins the lowest win total going into any of the playoff teams they beat a Brewers team that was good, obviously won their division, but no one was really taking seriously as a world series threat. We talked about it last week. Giants Dodgers just felt like that was the NLCS, but the Braves haven't just beaten the Dodgers. They've shellacked them. And we mentioned it. They're a home run and kind of a crazy sequence of late inning happenings away from a sweep. And if Atlanta, the, the, this Dodgers team is a juggernaut to to win potentially, you know, multiple games in LA, which they were 0-10 in their last 10 games at Dodger Stadium before the playoffs started. It's, It's totally impressive, and I think even if, you know, you could still argue that the Red Sox or the Astros would be the favorite in the World Series if they win, to whoever wins that series, you have to give Atlanta credit. They have completely overexceeded expectations, and they are a force to be reckoned with, because if you had said they're going to beat the Dodgers in five games, I would have laughed my, you know, my ass off. It was not possible in my mind, but here they are, just one game away from doing it, and like you said, they were so close to just sweeping the Dodgers. It's totally impressive. Yeah,
1: I give them a ton of credit. I mean, geez, when, when Acuna went down in the middle of this year, it was like, all right, here's another lost season for the Braves. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna be sellers at the deadline, but they went the other way. They started playing well. They they made a bunch of very astute trades, and those guys are, you know, they're they're producing. I mean, Devall is having another great year. Uh, you know, Jorge Soler's come in. Jock Peterson is having a great playoffs. You know, just coming out of nowhere. So yeah, I mean, you have to be impressed with what they've done. Kevin, I guess one last point on this. I mean, you know, it's hard to say from baseball, it's certainly not basketball. It's not, it's not football and it's sort of the, you know, battle of attrition, right? But that game five, the five game series in the NLDS with the Giants, I mean, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of stress put on the pitching staff, Um, you know, a, a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm wondering if, you know, did in that series, did the Dodgers maybe just kind of exhaust, Uh, too much of what they had left. And now here we're seeing them kind of running on fumes here in the NLCS.
2: Yeah, Ryan, I think that's a great observation by you. I mean, it was a season long grind with the Giants and Dodgers that no one wanted to play in that one card, you know, playoff game. And so the Dodgers were just grinding the last 50 or 60 games of the season. Then they get into the one game playoff, they win. Then they get the Giants in another, you know, nail biter five game series So, yeah, there could be just some mental exhaustion. And then, of course, you've got, you know, Justin Turner. Yeah, he wasn't hitting, but he's sort of a guy that, you know, a leader on the team that a lot of the other players look to. And so when he pulled up with the hamstring injury, it seems like it's hard not to look at that as a sign that maybe this just isn't the Dodgers year. I mean, that was a very poignant moment. And, uh, you know, as a Dodger fan, you'd want to believe that they can rally like they did last year. But, it does feel a little different this year, for sure.
1: Yeah, they definitely look a little tired. And it's certainly, I mean, again, we've given all the credit to, to Atlanta, but, you know, it's it's a time where under the bright lights, right, guys shine and Eddie Rosario for, uh, for Atlanta. I mean, dude's hitting, I think, 467 in the playoffs, 588 in this series. So, yeah, I mean, when you got one or two guys that are just absolutely going off on the other lineup and you can't seem to get anything going when you're the Dodgers, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a good recipe. But I guess we'll see what happens tonight. I am certainly... As someone who's seen enough of this, of what Atlanta does in the sports world and what, you know, somehow the way the Dodgers can just seem to dig deep, the series is far from over if you ask me, but it's certainly they're they're on the ropes here tonight. Let's hop over to the ALCS. And I mean, if you want to talk about the NLCS kind of being just your basic series, this ALCS has been anything but. Astros up three to two on the Red Sox. Um, I mean you've got all this clamoring uh, are the Astros cheating again this this whistling and you know all that kind of stuff and now you're hearing are the Red Sox cheating because there was a light in center field that people were checking out and you know of course well Alex Cora he was part of the Astros cheating scandal like don't put it past him but it's been an absolutely wild series certainly to kind of go back to game four it looked like the Red Sox had all the momentum the tie game in the ninth Iavaldi pitching Laz Diaz just absolutely forgot what he was doing what his job was and I mean he actually missed two strike calls at that at bat with Jason Castro, who ended up, you know, bringing in the the winning the the go-ahead run, and then the 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 floodgates just opened up. And of course, Astros pummeled the Red Sox last night. But I guess sort of the same question to you, Andrew, from the the Dodgers: uh, Are the Red Sox done, or do they they still have a a pulse here?
0: I'm going to say they they have a pulse, just because they've shown this year that they can overcome adversity whenever anyone writes them off. I mean, like we said last week, they weren't a favorite going into the season. And then they kind of struggled down the stretch and you weren't really expecting much of them in the playoffs. But here they are, two wins away from the World Series. And yeah, similar with the the Braves series, they were one or two pitches away from this being essentially over. I, I think it, it was really one of those moments in sports where you could just feel the entire momentum shift opponents. You know, th- yes, like in theory, one missed strike call shouldn't change the dynamics of a series. But you could totally just feel the energy completely shift. Boston scored 19 runs in game three and it just looked like they had the Astros number in every conceivable way you looked at it but then all of a sudden the floodgates opened and they scored all those runs in the ninth inning they completely shellacked them last night they're going back to Houston right now you just have to think the Astros like their chances of closing up the series but like I said you can never write off Boston because they seem to be the one team this year you just cannot you know shut the door on because they keep finding ways to hold themselves into the position to win even when they're least expected to.
1: Yeah, it certainly feels like, like Houston, you know, they, they certainly turned the tides and I'm not going to be one to say that, yeah, single call. I mean, Las Diaz missed like 23 calls in that game. So take your pick, but, um, you know, when the teams are this evenly matched and when there's so much stakes on the line, yeah, something like that can really turn the momentum. And, and you're right, Andrew, I mean, this, it feels like it's all Astros now. And, and, you know, going into game four, it felt like it was all Red Sox, like they couldn't lose. And now it's kind of flipped the script, but let's kind of go back to these, these rumors about who's cheating, pointing fingers this and that but Kevin regardless of who wins this series is there sort of a I guess call it an asterisk a little bit of a taint on whoever wins this series because of you know the Astros history certainly but then also you know the Red Sox history with sort of Alex Cora right and sort of the rumors that are coming out now
2: yeah I mean great question and it's impossible for us to know right it's we all have our theories and um, you know the fact that you know Cora and the Astros got caught cheating before you know it, it's always going to be there right you're always going to have that suspicion in the back of your head and who knows whether or not they are we may find out later that they were but right now um you know it's it's too hard to tell that's a great question though and it's 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 natural to wonder right
1: <laughs> yeah i mean listen you know <laughs> I want to go into an old adage, like if you're not cheating, you're not trying, which I don't necessarily believe in, but it's kind of a funny thing, right? I mean, this is this is professional sports and sign stealing or sign tipping is something that goes back to like, you know, youth baseball, right? If you're on second base, you pick up a sign, you do a little something. I mean, that's just part of the game. But yeah, when you take it an extra level and you're doing the whistling and you got a center field camera, that's where it starts to get a little icky. And, you know, the Astros made their own bed. They got to lay in it. I think regardless of the success they're going to have in the next five, 10, 15 years, there's always going to be that kind of, well, did you guys cheat or did you do it the right way? I guess we'll see, but I got to say, yeah, I mean, going back to Houston, this, this series feels all, all Astros. So they're going to, the Red Sox are definitely going to need, you're going to need to find something. Somebody's going to have to come up big, get a big hit and, uh, and we'll see where it goes from there, but let's pop over to some college football fellas, Uh, a little week seven recap. I mean, it was a decent weekend, I guess, you know, UGA beat the pants off of Kentucky as we kind of predicted they would I mean Georgia clearly looks like the best team in the country it's almost not even close and that's including Alabama. Number two, Iowa loses at home, I said it last week trap game and that's exactly what happened to them, I mean that was bad, but I think probably my favorite game of the weekend was ut Ole Miss uh, the, the homecoming for Lane Kiffin which. Certainly wasn't as well received the folks in Knoxville as uh, as he was getting a golf ball thrown at him. I mean, UT got fined 250k for throwing all the trash on that on the field. Um, just in terms of that game, Kevin, you know what what's your biggest takeaway from from sort of that that fiasco that took place down in Knoxville?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it was a crazy scene, and you know, Lane Kiffin is just one of those guys he evokes strong emotion, especially from the fans of Tennessee, who you know they take their football seriously down there. And uh, that was a wild game. You know, it's interesting. I think Tennessee has Alabama coming up this weekend. Um, You know, Alabama's beaten Tennessee 14 games in a row. And that's considered a rivalry. Like Tennessee and Alabama don't like each other. There's a rivalry there that goes way back. But at this point, can you really say that's a rivalry anymore? 14 in a row is, that's tough.
1: That's pretty one sided rivalry. Yeah, it's yes. I think you'd like to think a, a true rivalry would be, you know, some back and forth, some Duke, North Carolina basketball, something like that, where the other team has a chance. Yeah, UT is in for an absolute ass whooping in, in <laughs> Alabama this weekend, I think. But, uh, Andrew, a couple of teams that we highlighted last week, right? Oklahoma State, they got a big win at, at Texas coming from behind Michigan State outlasted uh, Indiana in a very boring game. But look, both of those teams are undefeated. They're in the top 10. Are either one of these teams actually for real?
0: I mean, probably not. But the thing is, you, you, you beat who you play. And yeah. so I think both of those teams, especially considering Michigan State, has the opportunity to play Michigan, uh, not this week, but next week. And, you know, they're in that, the weaker side of that conference. Where The Big Ten just going to play, figure itself out. And same with the Big 12. If Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, then one of those two teams is going to be in play for the, the playoff. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, it's tough to do the eye test and, and compare talents, especially when a lot of these teams aren't playing each other. But for right now, they're undefeated. And we have to give them credit because they've beaten who've been in front of them. And, you know, it took a lot of guts for Oklahoma State to win that game last week. And um, we were, were texting Kat about it. She was heartbroken with how that game played out. So you have to give them some kudos for, you know, winning at a game where they were facing adversity. And even though Michigan State won a boring game, you know, they they, they won. And Indiana is a team that going into the year, we had a lot of expectations for. And even, even though they've under exceeded, you still have to, you know, they, on any given week, can come out and play their best football and so you know am i picking any of these teams to to win the championship this year no but you know until until they prove otherwise you have to keep putting them up there in the top 10 and see what they do
1: yeah yeah i mean oklahoma state was impressive like you said they they showed some some real stones coming back you know, at, at Texas, Michigan state. I mean, that big 10 East, that's, that's, I would say that's the stronger, I mean, you got four teams in the top 10 in the big 10 East and Michigan state's going to have a chance to play the other three, Michigan, Ohio state, and Penn state. So you're right. That's going to kind of figure itself out. But from a Michigan state standpoint, I at least got to give some dap to Kenneth Walker, Heisman candidate. He's almost got a thousand. He's got two games already over 230 yards. So if you can lean on a bell cow back like that, I mean, you're going to be in every single game, especially in the big 10, where there's, you know, not, Nobody's really going to blow anybody out. It's going to be those 20 to 15, 20 to 17 type games. But Kevin, let's look ahead to this week. I hesitate to say it's a bad week because there's no such thing as a bad week in college football, but no ranked matchups this week. So, uh, you know, a lot of kind of just pulling for, for some intrigue here. I mean, a couple of the top games, USC, Notre Dame, which looked great on paper to begin the season. And now it's just an absolutely terrible game. USC is just, they can't get out of their own way. Clemson at Pitt. I think, I don't know if Pitt's favorite in that game, but they probably should be UCLA, UCLA, Oregon. Maybe that's probably the most exciting one, a little PAC 12 action and Ole Miss LSU. Uh, Kevin, what's maybe a game that you're kind of highlighting this week.
2: Yeah. Those last two that you mentioned, i like a lot, you know, Oregon at UCLA, Chip Kelly going up against Oregon. That's, that's a fun angle, you know, in UCLA, this, this is a huge game for UCLA. I mean, they started off the year with the big win over LSU um, that win, you know, LSU has proven to just be so-so SEC team, but um, the way UCLA won that game was really interesting. It wasn't a finesse, speed, you know, UCLA kind of beat LSU up, and that was a really, really interesting way for UCLA to prevail against an SEC team. So it'll be interesting to see how Oregon and UCLA match up on Saturday. I think the other game you mentioned, LSU at Old Miss, you know, I've seen some rumors this week that Lane Kiffin, might be rumored for the LSU job. I mean, it's just so funny to me. Lane Kiffin's whole career has been so funny. I was going to say, years is here. there
1: a, is there a single job that's out there in in college football that Lane Kiffin isn't a candidate for?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating to me. So, with that as the backdrop, I think the LSU Miss Ole Miss game is an interesting one. You know, great tailgating at the Grove. I don't know if you're aware of that scene, but uh, should be a should be a great game on Saturday for. Uh, kiffin and perhaps a showcase game who knows
1: yeah that'd be nice i mean certainly lsu is not what they what they once was that defense is reeling have been given, given up 42 points on back-to-back weeks yeah they beat florida last week but it wasn't pretty uh and then with that offense and Matt corral that lane kiffin's rolling in there that could be i could get away from lsu very very quickly what about you andrew you got anything you're you're highlighting this week in college football
0: Ah, oh, no, not really. I mean, I even made the note on our rundown. Is this even worth talking about this week? It's just, it's so, <laughs> it's always worth there's, talking. There's about. not a whole lot going on. I will say, and we kind of touched on it on our recap of last week. Let's just see if these teams like the Wake Forests, the Michigans, the Michigan States, the Oklahoma States, these undefeated teams that we really quite aren't sure if we want to buy them fully, yet can keep taking care of business. Wake Forest plays Army. I know that's always going to be an interesting matchup and they still seem to be like I think they're the only undefeated team in the ACC. And so if they keep taking care of business, I guess we have to take them seriously. But the fact that I just use that tone to describe them probably tells you all you need to know. Um yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's just see if if these, you know, can Michigan beat Northwestern. You're just these these games that should be easy wins for these top 10 teams. You know, can they take care of business? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, let's move on to the big boys, the guys that do it for a paycheck. Uh looking back at week six, it was a good week. I mean, I don't think anybody's probably more was more impressive than Baltimore, right? I mean, we kind of build that that game against the Chargers is really the top two teams in the AFC. I mean, who's going to kind of establish supremacy? And Baltimore went out there and they absolutely did it, 34 to six. It wasn't close the entire game. Uh, I, I love this this narrative that every this is the year that people figure out Lamar Jackson. Clearly, that's false because he's got another MVP season on tap. Um, Andrew, what's sort of your biggest takeaway from that game? I mean, this has got to this has got to be the catapult that says the Ravens are the team to beat in the AFC now, right?
0: I think so. I mean, they're that one weird Monday night football sequence away week one for being undefeated. Yeah. And they have beaten really good teams convincingly. I mean, the Chargers were the were the, the team last week. We were all saying, wow, look at the way they won that shootout over Cleveland. They're legit. Justin, Her- there was discussion is Justin Herbert better than Patrick Mahomes, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, but you know, they're, they're kind of the hot, sexy team. And they go into Baltimore and just get rocked. And I think I think it's pretty clear right now Baltimore is is the team to beat in the AFC especially with Buffalo losing Monday Night Football and I think Lamar Jackson's got to be the MVP favorite until he proves otherwise. I know you could throw Kyler Murray in there but it just Lamar Jackson just is built different and you have to defend him in entirely different ways than you do any other quarterback in the league.
1: Yeah, Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's special. He's the, he's my favorite player to watch in the league. He's just absolutely electric. Kevin play a little defensive coordinator for me. I mean, clearly nobody who does it for a living, these defensive coordinators that have gone up against the Ravens so far have figured it out. How would you stop Lamar Jackson if you were a DC?
2: Well, yeah, hes it's really tough, right? I mean, what are you going to do? It, you know, I'm a Steeler fan. So the Steelers see the Ravens twice a year anyway. So I'm already tired of him. And, uh, you know, the Ravens, you know, for me though, I, as as impressive as their offense has been, I always, when I think Ravens, I think defense. And somehow this year, they have another great defense. They're just physical. They're a mentally tough team. And they're just one of those teams where when you go out on the field against them, it's big boy football. It's, you know, very physical, hard hitting. And, you know, they're just a tough team. Physically, they're a hard team to beat. From an offensive perspective, I'm not sure what, what you can do. You know, they have a good enough offensive line that I don't think you know, you can put a lot of pressure on Lamar up the middle, unless you've got really good defensive tackles that can create interior pressure, you know, but if you come off the edge, like a TJ Watt for the Steelers, you know, Jackson can just roll and and, and a lot of times run in those scenarios, run away from him and get, you know, eight, 10, 12 yards. So yeah, it's kind of pick your poison and the Ravens look really good right now. I will say, you know, the other game that I thought last week that was very impressive was the Bills-Titans game. I thought the Titans really kind of found something during that game. I think you could argue that the Bills were just as good, if not a better team. But the Titans found a little something in that game, and I thought they were very impressive. The way Derrick Henry ran the ball, the way they were physical with the Bills, because the Bills are another team that, you know, are a real physical, hard-hitting team.
1: Yeah, definitely. That, that was a, a, an impressive win because I mean, really, so far this season, the Titans defense has been absolutely atrocious. I mean, they've been yep. getting carved up left and right week after week. And you think, okay, here comes Josh Allen and the Bills offense. I mean, this could, it just could be a bloodbath, but they hung in there. Obviously, that last play call, they going for it on fourth and one, and they could have kicked the field goal, easy field goal to tie it. That, you know, that that's that's high risk, high reward, right? No risk and no biscuit. And the, the Bills went for it and they, it didn't work out, right? And the Titans were impressive. I mean, Derrick Henry just doing what Derrick Henry does. I, I wonder when, I mean, the guy's had so many carries. You think at some point he's just going to break down, but I mean, he's just such a freak freak athlete freak guy like he's just i mean there's nobody like him in the league he's super impressive i don't i this was definitely a huge win for the titans but i don't know what's your biggest takeaway andrew from that game i mean you know i don't want to call it like did the titans win it or did the bills lose it but i mean the titans certainly hung with what many people believe as the
0: the top afc contender for the super bowl i mean my biggest takeaway is that i think tennessee finally kind of lived up to the expectations some of us had for them this year until this week, I was like, can we please just not have any of the AFC South teams in the playoffs? It's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> That's a division. One of those teams gets to be a, a division winner in, print, you know, quotations and go to the playoffs, take a spot away from a much better team. But finally, they showed up and they went toe to toe with the team that I think all of us considered the best team in the AFC going into the week. And they still might be. And, you know, Buffalo, they, they went for the, the risky decision. I don't think it was a bad decision, even though it didn't pay off. Um, So Tennessee got a little bit lucky that they were able to execute on that one play. And it really had a, a, you know, major impact in the game But the thing. And it happened two years ago when they beat Baltimore in the AFC playoffs. Derrick Henry can make your offense so impossible to defend because you can stack the box and try to defend him and he's still beating you. And then if you finally are able to contain him a little bit, you can open up the passing game. And Ryan Tannehill is not a world beater, but if you have Derrick Henry in the backfield, you should be able to do things with that offense it took a little bit, I think, for them to kind of get get up to par with their new offensive coordinator as Arthur Smith's now the uh, Falcons head coach. And, you know, we should have expected some level of, of transition. But when they lost to the Jets a couple weeks ago, we were like, what is going on? But then they come around and they beat the Bills a couple weeks later. And I think I'm still not picking them as an AFC contender, but they finally seem to have found their footing as an AFC playoff team, which until recently didn't seem to be the case. Yeah, it's
1: weird, right? I mean. You'd think that it actually wouldn't be that hard of an offense to defend, right? I mean, it's not like they, they're they not a Shanahan-led Niners, right? They don't do a lot of motion. They don't do a lot of cheeky stuff. It's basically just like, here's Derrick Henry in the backfield. We're going to give it to him 25, 30 times and have him run straight ahead, and you're not going to be able to stop him. I mean, it's it, on paper, it seems like, all right, just stack the box. it will be fine. Like, let Tannehill beat you. But every single time teams stack the box, Derrick Henry still rumbles for, you know, 110, 120, and two touchdowns. I mean, probably my favorite thing is the guy is so huge but he's also so, I mean, that run that he had the 80 plus yard touchdown run was the fastest run in the last, what, four or five years. And it looked like the dude was basically just like running in mud. And he's just like huffing and puffing. And he is just distancing himself from cornerbacks. It makes no sense what that guy can do with the ball. I mean, it, I love watching him play. I mean, talk about a guy like Lamar Jackson being exciting. Derrick Henry is, is just as good and just as fun to watch. But let's move over to the NFC, talk about some teams to beat. Look, the Cardinals are six and oh, they're the only undefeated team in the NFL. I've watched them play. I mean, that offense is great. The defense has started to kind of catch up, which is which is very interesting for them. But, you know, I don't know if I sell all in as they're the best team in the NFC or even the NFL. But, I mean, look, the Browns were missing key players last week, a lot of them, but no Cliff Kingsbury, so no head coach, and they still just waxed them in Cleveland. It was an impressive win. They've got Houston this week. So, I mean, basically book 7-0. and oh. Kevin, what's your take on the Cardinals? I mean, is this, is this a legitimate, legitimate team in the NFC? because that's, there's a tough NFC now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think they're a very serious team. I mean, uh, you know, at the time last year when JJ Watt announced that he was going there, I think a lot of people were scratching their heads going, wow, you know, he's going to go there and that's a big bet, uh, you know, on the Cardinals and their team. But, um, now he's looking like that was a very shrewd move. Um, the Cardinals offense looks like it's grown up. Um, they, they polished the Rams, you know, the week before, um, at LA. So that was an impressive win. And then to, to go to Cleveland, despite some of the Browns injuries, um, still an impressive road win. they could have done it more impressively. So they look like a very serious team to me. And, you know, I like their, I like their offense and defensive lines, you know, that's where a lot of football games are won. And right now they're playing really well on both sides of the ball up front. Uh, so yeah, they look like a very serious team to me.
1: Yeah, very serious team. And on the other side, the Browns, you know, a lot of high expectations going into this season. A lot of talent on that roster. And, you know, now here they are, what, three and three and not looking as hot. But hey, they're playing tonight and we're going to go into a little rant zone because I know both of you guys got a little rant going on here. But a- Andrew, I'm going to start with you. So we've got Thursday night football. Everybody loves it. Browns Broncos playing tonight. What's uh, look so we've uh, Teddy Bridgewater's banged up, but he's playing tonight. Baker Mayfield on the other side is not playing. He apparently not only does he have that torn labrum, but he's also got a fractured humerus bone. So he could be out for a while. Um, take me through this game, Andrew. What are you, what are you looking for tonight? And do your Broncos write the ship tonight?
0: Um, I mean, I'm going to get into this in a lot of detail in <laughs> the dudes and duds. So I'm not oh, going to, I'm just going to say this. I'm expecting a Browns blowout tonight. And it's already seven, nothing. They went down the field and scored with ease. The Broncos got a three and out to start the game my prediction is going to come true. It's it's going to be bad. The whole world's going to see it. And Vic Fangio, will get getting the pink slip tomorrow morning.
1: <laughs> All right. Calling for Fangio's job. There it is. <laughs> well, let's stick on this game, Kevin, because I know you got a little something to say about Baker Mayfield. So the floor is yours, sir.
2: Yeah. You know, here's my thing about Baker Mayfield. I know that he's out this week and he's hurt and he's been playing hurt, but you know, he's playing to try to convince the Browns to sign him to a big deal. This is the last year of his, I think it's his last year of his rookie contract. So he's kind of in a free agent mode, if you will. And, you know, I just, I just don't quite see that he's somebody that if I were the Browns, I want to invest in. Um, He just, you know, he's got, he's, he's had all the weapons for the last few years. His offensive line is as good as almost any in the NFL, other than maybe the Colts um he's i mean he's blessed with all these weapons and yet he just hasn't been able to deliver so it's a tough call but for me i would pass on baker mayfield um he may end up making me look bad by rebounding from this injury and resuscitating his career and 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 doing well and winning championships and beating the steelers multiple times but for right now if i had you know to wager one way or the other i I'm, I'm just not i'm i'm not on the baker mayfield train i think when you're taking where he was in the draft with the expectations and then given all of these weapons, I mean, uh, I just, I think he's fallen short. Uh, and you know, he's, he's just running out of excuses. The injury is legitimate, but you know, I, I just don't think he's going to, you know, warrant, you know, a huge sizable investment, but you know, obviously there, there may be other people out there that disagree, including the Cleveland Browns. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. But let's let's look ahead to some of the, the big games this week, guys. Uh, Chiefs Titans. We just mentioned the Titans, right? That was a, a statement win on Monday Night Football against the Bills. They've got another chance to make another statement here. They're, they're hosting the Chiefs this week. There's a big swing
0: game in the AFC playoff picture. Andrew, who do you like in that one? I oh, mean, I know the Titans just won that game. and There's a lot of emotion. It's in Tennessee. But something just tells me the Chiefs. I mean, I'm I'm going to pick the Chiefs, I think they kind of seem to find something in the second part of that Washington game this past weekend, you know, they were down 13 to 10. And people were just like, man, Mahomes looks washed. And just all these, all this, all this talk where you're like, are you kidding me? Yes. Their defense is pretty weak, but their offense is by far still the best offense in the NFL when they have everything rolling. And I just don't know if I, if I trust Tennessee well enough to win two big games in a row against two premier AFC teams. So even though I, I hate picking against Derrick Henry running on that chiefs defense, I still think I'm going to pick the Chiefs in that game.
1: Yeah, you got to think they're maybe running on fumes a little bit, that being Tennessee, you know, short week, Monday night football, big win. Uh, that'll be an interesting one. Another one in the AFC, we're giving all the love to the Ravens, but Bengals are coming into town, and the Bengals win that game they're in first place in the AFC North, Kevin. I mean, that that's that's impressive. And no, your Steelers, unfortunately, are nowhere to be found at the top of the division. But uh, what are you looking for in that game?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's it, that's going to be a very tough game for the Bengals. I, I you know, the Ravens just look too tough right now for me, the bank, the Bengals could get it done. I think they would have to win the turnover battle by multiple, you know, more than one. I think they'd have to turn the ball over two or three times from the Ravens in order to win that game. But um, yeah, like you said, they're, they're in range. The Bengals look much improved as does almost everybody except my Steelers in that division. Um, you could argue with the Browns if they, you know, it avoided some of those injuries, their record would be better. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, as far as the, the chiefs Titans game real quick, I I'm picking the Titans for the very same reason that Andrew chose the chiefs is I think the Titans found something in that game, just like the chiefs did. And I think the Titans, gosh, it's a little early to call this an elimination game. And, you know, but if, if the chiefs lose this game, they're three and four, you know, and that's going to be a hole to dig out of in a competitive AFC. So I think the Chiefs will bring everything they have and then some to the Titans. To me, the Titans owe the Chiefs a little bit because if you recall, the Titans were the ones that lost, you know, in the playoffs at Kansas City. So, you know, there's there's really some interesting, you know, narratives in this uh in this game. I think it's going to be one of the better games of the week for sure. Yeah, that
1: will be a fun one and, you know, another I think key part of that game is the the Titans secondary is banged up. I mean, they were on they were on their third, fourth cornerbacks. Uh, in that game against Buffalo. They were able to hang on, but yeah, a banged up secondary against Pat Mahomes is uh, that's big trouble, but I'm, I'm with you, Kevin. I think, I think the Titans find a way to figure it out and they get another win at home. Uh, now let's go to a game. That's not necessarily exciting, but when you think about the folks who are actually involved, it, it gets, a, it gets a little juicier. Lions, Rams, two teams on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Owen six, you six Jared Goffs against the five and one Matt Stafford's. Um, Andrew, let me ask you this. I mean. You want to call this sort of like a revenge game for Goff, right? But going in with a team that's 0-6, clearly the worst team in the NFL. I mean, is what? what is it that Jared Goff can hold on to other than trying not to lose to his former team by 50?
0: I, 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 yeah, I was going to say 50 points. Um, this is this would be the worst revenge game in history because you would need to exact revenge in order for it to be a revenge game. Um, the biggest thing I'm looking for is just at what point in the game does Dan Campbell lose it and start strangling Goff on the sidelines? Or just start crying. I, I know it's not entirely Goff's fault, but the, I think this is the game that puts the nail in the coffin on him as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Because it's against his former team, his former coach. And, you know, in the NFL, no no game is a gimme. But Sean McVay having to, like, game plan around this guy he's coached for the last three years, it's it's going to end really poorly. And I would not be surprised if the blout really indicates just how bad Goff was holding back the Rams offense, especially when Stafford in there now. You know, I don't. I feel bad for Jared Goff at this point, but hey, at least he made his money and he, he got to live in L.A. for a little bit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess he he had a good run there. But look, not to beat a dead lion here, but Kevin, from Jared Goff's standpoint, I mean, Andrew just mentioned it, right? This could he thinks maybe this is going to be the end of uh, Jared Goff being a starting quarterback. But if you ask me, I mean, Detroit hasn't exactly put a lot around him to succeed. I mean, it is is what's happening in Detroit more of a talent front office issue, or is it is it really fall on the, on the shoulders
2: of Jared Goff. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair Ryan, you know, a little perspective. The Lions were competitive in some of their games before last week's dreadful performance against the Bengals, but um yeah, I think it's fair. I think unfortunately though, you know, <laughs> you know, everyone was watching early on the Lions and you know, because of the trade and and how it went down, you know, Goff it's it, it is. I think Andrew's absolutely right that this is a critical game in Goff's career. It's unfortunate it comes when and where it does, but you know, at some point, you know, some of these quarterbacks have to find themselves or they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be. I mean, Jared Goff is laughing all the way to the bank. He does have that going for him. The Rams extended him $110 million before they traded him to the Lions. So, you know, Jared Goff's never gonna bounce a check or have to worry about that in his lifetime, but you know, whether or not he can resuscitate his career is a whole nother question. And he doesn't have a lot in Detroit right now. I mean, his numbers surprisingly are not that bad. If you look at his numbers, um, they're decent, you know, their offense has been okay, but there might be just a really bad contrast this Sunday at SoFi. It might be really a bad look. And I don't know what you do. You just try to survive this game. If you're the lions and not not let it be as bad as we think it might be in terms of the scoreboard.
1: Yeah, regardless of who's there on offense with him or who's around him, I mean, it's it's what have you done for, for me lately? That's the kind of league that it is. And if you don't win, you don't stay around for long. And that's just the way it goes. So pray for Jared Goff this weekend, guys. Uh, yes. Let's wrap it up with a few rapid fire predictions from this, from this weekend. Philly at Las Vegas. Kevin, who do you like?
2: Yeah, I've got, this is not so much an endorsement of Philly, but it's more a... Um, you know, I'm just selling on Derek Carr. I just, I think the Raiders, you know, they won last week, but I think this is an organization going the wrong direction. I am picking the Eagles on the road in an upset at Vegas.
0: I like it. Andrew? I don't know. I, th- I think Vegas getting John Gruden out of there really was more of a rallying cry than a thing that really demoralized them. At least I hope so. Um, just otherwise the Broncos are even worse than I'm about to <laughs> rant about later. Um, but I, you know, I think with the Raiders, they have good players and that four and two record is built on them Beating they beat the Ravens and they've held their own in two overtime games against lesser opponents, but they still managed to win those games. It's a home game and Philly really looks weak with, with Jalen Hurts, a quarterback. So I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Kevin, And there's going to be a ton of Philly fans in that stadium this weekend, but I like the Raiders. I, I think they just, they've moved past the Gruden thing in a football sense, not an organizational sense. Um, and So I, I like their chances this week. Okay,
1: I like it. Uh, I'll take Philly just because, well, I have no idea why I'm going to take Philly. I'm just going to do it and then let's move on. But uh, Chicago at Tampa Bay. Now, on paper, this doesn't look like a very good matchup, but Kevin, you, you got a little something for me? You got a little, little insight?
2: You know, I don't really have much insight in terms of specifics, but for some reason... I think this is going to be a more competitive game than it looks. I think the number on this, and it it should be, I think the number is 12. And for some reason, I think the Bucs win a close game that is anywhere from six, seven, eight points. I don't know why. I have nothing to back it up or support it. But I have a weird feeling this game is closer than the line indicates.
1: Hey, you know what you're doing with the line. I'll, I'll play with you all day. What about you, Andrew? You think this is going to be as close
0: as Kevin thinks? Um, I actually do because you know what Chicago beat Tampa Bay last year. And oh, okay. No, I'm just saying there, there's precedent. They, they, they've proven that they, and their defense is playing lights out right now. You know, we joked, oh, they'd be in the playoff mix if it ended the day. And that's true. And no one would take them seriously as a title contender, but their defense is good enough that it's, it's overcome a lot of their offensive woes. And so I still don't know if I would pick Chicago to win, but I do agree that it will be a closer game. This is not a gimme game for Tampa Bay by any means
1: yeah definitely not but i'll I'll side with tommy terrific i think they're going to win by two touchdowns uh let's go to monday night saints and seahawks now geno smith playing for the seahawks i mean that doesn't get anybody excited but you're looking at the line here i mean it's only saints minus four and a half so kevin what are we looking at here is there something that that i'm missing because i feel like this should be a seven eight point spread
2: Yeah, I don't know. This game intrigues me on just one simple level. And that is, you know, normally NFL players have their friends and families attend the games, but this game is so boring to me that I don't think even relatives and friends of the players will attend. I think this is going to be a yawn fest, but I I give the edge to the Seahawks. They're due for a win, they're playing at home, and I definitely think they cover the, the number for sure.
1: Okay, I like it. What about you, Andrew? You think they cover?
0: I don't know. I I like the Saints this week. I feel like with Jameis, it's either a blowout or they get blown out. Um, But they're coming off a bye week. And, you know, Alvin Kamara is going to run all over the the Seahawks defense. Jamal Adams, yeah, is he even playing for them anymore? It doesn't feel like it anyways.
1: He's the best Um, in the world, but he can't catch or tackle or cover. (laughs) They gave up three
0: first-round draft picks for that guy. So the Jets (laughs) are going to be sitting pretty with that top 10 Seahawks pick this year. Not that they're going to do anything smart with it, but they're still going to have it. Um, Yeah, I mean... They're gonna, the, the Saints or the Seahawks getting three points at home just because of the home team. I feel like this is at least a touchdown game. The only thing that would go crazy is if there was some stuff like the Broncos Seahawks Super Bowl where the first snap is a safety or something outside of control of the Seahawks. So, yeah, I, I like the Saints this week.
1: Yeah, me too. uh, Alvin, all you got to say is is Kamara against that rushing defense of of Seattle. And that's, that's got bad news written all over it, but let's, I wanted to move to one sort of storyline that really has been beaten to death, but it's, it's still interesting, right? Reports are Deshaun Watson trade to Miami is quote unquote imminent. Now I don't want to talk about Deshaun Watson anymore because we don't know when this guy's going to get on the field. He's clearly just got a lot of other bigger issues, bigger fish to fry, but with this ongoing discussion that doesn't seem to go away with Miami being all in on Deshaun Watson I mean what is it about Tua Tagovailoa that they just don't seem to like Kevin because it seems to me I mean like he's he's been a little banged up that's a team that doesn't have a ton of talent either they're one in five they just lost to the Jaguars in London um why but it still seems like Tua you know you got to give the guy a chance to blossom and grow and it looks like he's made some improvements here and there so what is it with Miami I mean they just do they just want to cut ties with Tua or what's the deal
2: yeah It's a weird deal there, isn't it? It seems like they are really rushing to judgment on him. And, you know, he may go and blossom elsewhere and and end up making them look really bad because I agree with you. I think this seems, it feels like it's just way too early to come to that sort of definitive conclusion that they seem to have arrived at. They do not seem ambivalent at all. They have definitely decided that Tua is not, you know, not in their future. And um, bringing Deshaun Watson in, You know, wow, that is that is interesting. So, yeah, for me, I I totally agree with you. Tua uh, is—it's way too early to give up on him.
1: Yeah, I, I think it goes without saying, and it's not fair to—it's not unfair to say that the Dolphins have had a track record of being of, of making some questionable decisions around talent and who they're putting on the field, and this just seems to be another one of those. And it's—it just boggles my mind that they're still so sort of straightforward about this, like trying to get get their hands on Deshaun Watson and get rid of Tua. I mean, I, I think it's going to backfire on them as it has with other talent uh, in, in the past. But guys, let's—we're we're running out of time a little bit here, but I want to talk a little NBA. Tip-off. We're back, baby. It's one of the greatest times of the year. We've got MLB playoffs, NFL, college football, and now NBA is back. No uh, no hatred to, to hockey. NHL is back as well. But um, look, we could go a number of different ways here, but I kind of just want to give the floor to you guys and
2: let me know what you're thinking for this season. Kevin, you can start. Um, you know, I, I I think the West is going to be fascinating again with the Lakers, their team. Um, you've got, you've it's just loaded, you know, all the same suspects, right? The Nuggets. Uh, Clippers, the Suns, um, you know, it's deep, you know, can the Mavericks get a little better? Can they take the next step up? You know, they were, they were impressive last year. So, you know, to me, I'm, I continue to be intrigued by the West and what could happen there. I I question whether or not the Lakers have enough defense. Um, There seems to be some prevailing wisdom with the Lakers that they will figure this all out in three, four or five weeks, and they will learn to play together and everything will be fine. But To me, I just don't know if Russell Westbrook fits with what they're doing. I think the middle is going to be kind of clogged. And, you know, when he thrived on other teams, the middle, they used to do clear outs for him and he would just drive to the bucket. To me, with AD and LeBron there, it just seems like it's a little weird. If they can figure it out, props to them, and they'll definitely be, you know, the leading contender. But their injury susceptibility, some of that makes me believe that it might be, the Nuggets, turn the Mavericks, the Suns, the Clippers, one of those other teams in the West.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of question marks around the Lakers, and I mean, no, nothing sweeter to start your season than with you know all the hoopla going into the season, and then you lose at home to Golden State. Uh, that was not a great loss. Not a great loss, and also Russell Westbrook looked absolutely terrible. So you might be onto something there, Kevin.
2: Yeah, and the Warriors. I mean, I forgot to mention them. That was impressive. Don't forget Golden you know? State. Here we go. Yes, come. I mean, don't don't sleep on them. They are back, and they are definitely going to be contending. I don't know when I know Clay didn't play the other night. I don't know when Clay will be back. Uh,
1: they they announced he's going to be back uh, against the Suns on Christmas Day. So, we got a couple yeah. of months.
2: Okay. So, that's I mean, shoot, you know, he'll he'll if he comes back at 80, 90% of what he was, I mean, yeah, that's good out. enough. I mean, add add that to what they had last night and uh it's it's going to be impressive.
1: I like it.
0: Andrew, insert NBA take here. Oh man, Um, there's a couple of different ways I could go with this. I guess my biggest theme that I'm going to touch on is just how the injuries have made this a clouded Western Conference run where I think the Lakers are the prohibitive favorite, whether or not that's actually true or not. They do have star power. They do have veterans who have playoff experience. But I think if the Clippers, the Nuggets, and the Warriors were all at full strength right now, I think all three of those teams would be much better than the Lakers. I think they'd be the prohibitive favorites to win the title. You can't overlook Phoenix because they proved last year that they're a a team to be reckoned with but I will say the DeAndre Ayton situation thrown a little bit of wrench into things. Plus they had a historical amount of, of luck last year. Every other team seemed to have a horrible injury history going into that, into that playoffs. And they seem to be untouched by it. And I don't think we can not count that at, or not count that when we consider looking back at that year, plus Utah, they're going to be another regular season juggernaut, but they have not proven that their system works in the playoffs. Rudy Gobert, you cannot have on the floor, in clutch time in a playoff game. Cause he is, a, it's like having four players on offense. And then just this weird tall guy standing up the middle giving everyone COVID, you know, 18 months ago. It's just, <laughs> he's a good player and I make fun of him. They're a good team, but you cannot take them seriously as a, as a title contender. Um, you know, I, I can insert my Homer Nuggets take, all I'll say is they looked really good last night. It's almost like having healthy guards against the Suns would have made a difference. I don't know, I'll just you know, leave that open for interpretation. Um, but yeah, the other team that I want to give a shout out to in the Western Conference, Memphis Grizzlies, I'm not expecting them to be a contender by any means, but I think they're going to surprise some people. I would not be shocked if they knocked down some of these teams we're expecting to be in the top five or six down into the playoff, the playing game. They have a bunch of young talent. They're well coached. And a lot of those guys seem to be taking the next step.
1: Yeah, Memphis is fun. I mean, John Morant is basically the NBA's version of Lamar Jackson. Just you can't take your eyes off the TV when he's playing. Some of those dunks, the high flying. I just, I just pray that a guy like that can stay healthy because he's so much fun to watch. But he takes so many risks up in the air with his body that – you just you gotta hope for the best. You hold your breath pretty much every time he goes in the air. But look, we'd be remiss to talk NBA and not talk about the story that has dominated headlines over the last couple of days. Ben Simmons clearly doesn't want to be in Philadelphia for some reason decided to show up to practice and then probably gets kicked out because he didn't want to sub in for drills, which I mean, you know, insert your fucking whatever here because the guy has no idea what he seems to be doing. But I mean Let's just do a quick run over this guy's resume. He's academically academically suspended at LSU for refusing to go to class because he don't do school. Uh, Refused to play for Team Australia in the Olympics so he could spend time posting shootout shooting videos, which clearly hasn't seemed to pay off at all. I mean, trying to force a trade from a title contender. Yes, this is kind of the, the way of the world in the NBA now. Stars can can. Do that, but Ben Simmons is even really a star at this point. He's just a guy who can't shoot. He's a six-nine point guard who just wants to pass and throw little baby fits. So, Kevin, look. The other thing is, I saw a quote today from Darrell Moore that basically said he's willing to wait four years until unless they get somebody that they're actually going to trade Ben Simmons for and it's actually going to be a difference maker. So, certainly seems like the Sixers front office is ready to be entrenched in this for as long as it absolutely takes. Doesn't seem like Ben Simmons is is going to budge in his stance. So, how does this end?
2: Well, it's ugly on every, at any way you look at this. I mean, I think the 76ers botched this though in the off season. um, you know, they they asking price for Simmons was way too high. Um, you know, teams are not going to give you equal value for Ben Simmons, not even close. So now where are you? You're at a point where your position has gotten somehow impossibly even worse than it was. And now, now who wants Ben Simmons? Nobody. Um, uh, how are you going to sell him to your existing fan base if you're any of the other NBA teams? So, you know, now it looks like we're looking at a lengthy standoff and it's ugly on every, every, every angle you look at this thing. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get out of this. I don't know how Ben Simmons extricates himself from Philly. And I don't know how Philly resolves. It's Ben Simmons problem. It's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly Philly is well-renowned for, for being a, a tough sports city. I mean, when you're doing well, they absolutely love you. When you're not doing so well, they they will let you know it. Uh, but I don't think anybody's ever been sort of more on a villain side with that city of Philadelphia than Ben Simmons is right now. I mean, he is the most hateable man almost in America. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> Andrew, what do you think about this, man? I mean, look, it, the the crux of the situation is that just Ben Simmons has made himself look so laughably bad. Kevin said it. Who's going to want him? I mean, it's in a bad position for the Sixers, too. But it clearly seems like Ben Simmons is is just making himself, he's basically forcing himself out of the league. Because I I don't know what else you can talk about, but I got a guy who's just so clearly just childish and selfish. It's it's embarrassing.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, all you have to say is this is probably the first time in sports history where the Philly fan base is not out of touch with what's going on. And <laughs> Like the, the majority of the sports world is siding with Philadelphia fans in this situation. You know, you said he's, like he's going out of his way to seem childish and immature. And it's like, that's not his strategy. That's just what he is like. You know, there is no way that it, that strategy benefits you in any way. He's just that childish, that entitled, that out of touch with, with what is actually going on and what is perceived to be a valued asset in the NBA. That He's going to tank his career. The guy's 25 years old. You know, when he was coming into the league, there was actual comparisons with him and magic Johnson, one of the top 10 players to ever play this game. You know, he does so many things that you, you actually do have to value his defense, his ability to, to, to bring the ball up and run the offense. I don't know. Obviously shooting is kind of important in basketball, but he's found a way to be an all-star without shooting. So imagine what he could do if he could just put in the time and effort to shoot and become a, you know, someone you actually have to defend on the perimeter it's, it's laughable. It's embarrassing. It's complete waste of talent. And he's done such a poor job with it that no one feels sorry for him. You, know, you you can make the case. Oh, he's 25. He just needs to figure his shit out. He is. He's done such a poor job with this that like his situation in Philadelphia has absolutely zero impact on my team, my like whatever I follow in the NBA and I'm still angry about it. That's how annoying his presence is. And I honestly hope this goes down as a 30 for 30 in 20 years of, of the most hated guy in sports who botched his own career and has no one to blame but himself.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It seems on the surface like such a simple, you know, it seems like such a simple solution. Don't be a douchebag. Learn how to shoot. Don't be immature. Don't ostracize yourself from your city, your fans, your team, everybody. And he just can't seem to get out of his own way. It's it's laughable. It's sad. I mean, it's too bad because he, he has the potential to be a great player, but certainly no Magic Johnson, but the guy just doesn't seem to want to be a good. you're right it's it's this is not a ploy this is not some sort of game plan this is just who he is and he's a douchebag that's there's nothing else you can say it's a pretty fractured time to be an american right now i mean there's a lot of stuff going on politics wise but i think the one thing that can unify us as americans is just a pure hatred of ben simmons and his douchebaggery
0: all right let's wrap this thing up andrew we go to dudes and duds who's your dude my man oh my dude for you succession fans out there cousin greg he is going to be the CEO of Waystar Roy Clay when it's all said and done. You know it. Come on. There's no better ending for that series. Um, yeah, I don't want to give me spoilers away, so to say shout out to Cousin Greg. Shout out to Cousin Greg. There you go. <laughs> all right, well, my dude, it's Derek Henry. Look, we all know
1: what the guy can do with The Rock. He's an absolute monster, but he's also got a soft spot. I mean, he does a ton of awesome stuff with his charity, 2 All Foundation, but today might be my favorite thing that he's done the titans are teaming up with uh, a shelter a dog shelter there mars pet care in nashville and my man derrick henry showed up to his presser with a picture of a dog named bam bam who is he's up for pet adoption in the in the program there so all the titans i know ryan Tannehill is heavily involved in this they're wearing they're all wearing shirts for dogs who want to get adopted i, I can guarantee you right now somebody's got bam bam like in their house right now. And he's eating a freaking steak. I absolutely love it. Derrick Henry. Good on you, man. All, all dogs deserve a good home. So any, any, that you can help I'm all for it. Andrew, who's your dud? Uh, I, I should say, I hesitate to to give you the floor here because I know what's coming, but go ahead. Oh
0: boy. It's bad. I mean, one of the reasons I just gave that lighthearted dude is this is about to be a rant (laughs) for the ages. Um, Drop in folks. You know, it's bad when Ben Simmons is doing all this nonsense and I genuinely don't think he's the dud of the week. Um, Typically, we would not say him because we've already at length gone, you know, I've touched on his situation. The guy I'm I'm picking is actually the dud of the week, worse than Ben Simmons, which is saying a lot. So, you know, my dud of the week is the Vic Fangio and the entire Broncos coaching staff. And I know most of our listeners do not care about the dysfunction that's going on in Broncos country or in Denver. I know we're we've become a, a team that no one cares about once Peyton Manning left. But despite being not competitive the last five years. This is the most demoralized as a Broncos fan I have ever been. Well, the Broncos, like I said, have not been competitive for the last couple of years. This is at an all-time suck level because unlike the last couple of years, they actually have a talented roster. And it's so frustrating. Here's a breakdown of the last three weeks that that Vic Fangio has seemed to do with absolutely nothing. Um, A blowout loss at home to Baltimore when the biggest storyline was how Vic Fangio bitched out of his mind about the Ravens running the ball to end the game to continue their 100-yard win streak. Dude, you're supposed to be a defensive genius. If you don't like them running it, then you have to stop it instead of letting him throw for 300 yards when this is supposed to be a running quarterback. The next week, the Broncos secondary, which is the most expensive in the league, by over $20 million, is absolutely eviscerated by a ghost of Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. And then, to cap it all off, Denver was absolutely shellacked at home by the Raiders last week, where Vegas was dealing with the biggest scandal of the season that saw their coach fired only five days earlier. For those keeping score at home, Vic Fangio was outcoached by a team that doesn't have a coach. And to make matters worse, it was the team's biggest rival on a week where the Broncos are honoring Mike Shanahan, the biggest Raiders hater of all time. There's supposed to be energy and enthusiasm in that team. Instead, the Broncos gave up a potential signature win over a reeling team in an emotionally charged home game that would have given them a significant edge in the AFC playoff race and they came out looking like they couldn't be bothered to be there, they had no faith in the game plan, and they've already packed it up for the year, which is insane because as of that game, they were three and two in the playoff picture, and they're still three and three. They should have every reason to continue playing this year, but they look like they've already phoned it in. Fanju has completely lost the locker room. He looks about as qualified to be an NFL head coach as I do being a Victoria's Secret model or an astronaut. And that's why with the Browns missing half their team and starting Case Keenum at quarterback on a short week, I said at the beginning of the show, I think Denver's going to get blown out tonight by 20 plus points. And guess what? We're about halfway through the second quarter and it's about to be 17-0. Pat Bolin would be utterly ashamed of how far this franchise has fallen. So even with Ben Simmons being the worst human being on the planet, I still think Vic Fangio is my dud of the week. I said it at the beginning of the show. I cannot wait until tomorrow morning when he is fired. Because he should have been fired this week and the only reason he wasn't was the, the short Thursday night game it's, it's, it's abysmal. And I know that was a long winded rant, but it is bad. It is the worst I've ever felt as a sports fan in my entire life.
1: Yeah. John Ellie's not coming through that door, Andrew. I, I wish I could do something to console you, but uh, clearly <laughs> you're inconsolable. So there's, good, good there's, luck with that.
0: They're three and three, and it feels like they've lost 90 straight games. And I guarantee you, I'm not the only Broncos fan that feels this way. The It's, it's everyone it's, it's rampant. It's, it's fuck this guy. Like that's, you know pardon the explicit language but it really is this guy has got to go this a torturous is, journey is torturous
1: journey of a denver sports fan <laughs> all right well my dad of the week it's coach l look I, I love the guy's vibe i mean everybody loves his voice he, he's just a, an absolute kook but as a football coach i mean he leaves a lot to the imagination yeah the guy won he won a title in 2019 with with the Joe Burrow, you know Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase basically winning it for him. But look, the Tigers are four and three. The defense looks terrible. We mentioned earlier they've given up 42 in back to back games. They're uninspired on the field, and he's a lame duck coach. He's going to be done at the end of the season, and now we're learning why. And some of the details are are pretty icky. If you say, if, if I do say so myself, I mean hitting on women incessantly all over the map, including a pregnant wife of an LSU official at a gas station, which just is all kinds of levels of fucking gross. Uh, bringing girlfriends to practice and having their kids participate in drills, which is just fantastic. I would love to see some video for that. Uh, Look, the guy's never struck me as a X's and O's guy. He's more of that kind of inspiring guy. The team is uninspired. He is by all accounts, a creep. Um, and look, it's he's two years removed from a title and it's basically gone from go Tigers to go the F away. Just get out of Baton Rouge. We don't want you here. And I mean, you want to talk about, we talked about Ben Simmons, you know, guys just irreparably ruining their, their reputations. Coach O isn't very far behind. I mean, I don't know where he's going to end up, but you're going to probably look at him in like Louisiana Lafayette or something come next year or two years. So good luck, Coach O. We'll, we'll, we'll miss you, uh, but not that much. All right. That is it for us today. The Walk-Ons podcast. Thursday, October twenty first, twenty twenty one. Andrew Schuster, as always, thank you. Our thanks to Kevin Carlin. He had to pop off early because he could not stand to listen to that Broncos rant. So he's a smart man. Good for you, Kevin. Always good to see you, man. We are out. The Walkons.